Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, Smith, it's the first day of December in the year of 2023. And you believe we are here yet again, David Lee Scales. That's crazy how fast the year goes. We are, you know, what I like to do at this time of year, though, this when the calendar flips to December is when I start counting down for the start of a new World Surf League Championship Tour season. Wow. Really? This is, yeah, we got... Two months exactly, don't we? Ish. Yeah, I mean, again? I mean, you're right. You could start counting down, but that's the last thing I'm thinking about in the month of December. <laughs> I feel as far away from it as I could be at any point in the year, and am almost checking out of all work entirely, just focusing on family and hanging out and gratitude and whatever else. Did you feel uh, back in the uh, old days, the Triple Crown days? Um, were you, did you feel closer to professional surfing during the month of December then when it 100%. was pipeline was coming, it was going to end the season and the triple crown was in full swing. Yeah. And, but also it also, it did feel closer to professional surfing, but it felt also like a gift at the end of the year from professional surfing to me. It was like a Christmas, uh, gift almost because that pipe masters ending the week before Christmas or whatever, it was just it was an early Christmas present, in fact. It was great. Well, I guess the new masters of the World Surf League are Jehovah's Witnesses. They have taken <laughs> away our celebrations. They really have, man. They've really devalued. They haven't devalued anything. They've undervalued entirely their greatest assets, essentially. Did you feel, how bad did you feel on a scale of one to 10 for the Jehovah's Witness kids in your elementary school? When like it was time to do the turkey play or time to do the making a gift for your mom and they had to go to another room and or entirely sit out. Yeah, it's a total bummer. We had neighbors. It wasn't my neighbors, but we spent a lot of time at my grandma's house and the neighbors across the street had like a bunch of kids that were our age. So they were our good friends. And yes, there was a very strict divide in terms of how we uh, structured our time during the holidays. I mean, it is to me. Making a religion and says, okay, here's the bar that you're going to jump in over everyone who wants to be part of this thing. We are going to take away everything fun, anything fun, gone. It is gone. Yeah. Don't even, and then come on in. This is, yeah. this is your religion now. Those poor kids, poor you know, Jehovah's Witness kids. Oh, I've thought about this and I understand completely how these things developed from a sociological perspective, because 
if you really want to achieve things in life, structure and a rig- rigor are all good things, right? Like, sure. like ab- abstaining from things oh, that yeah. are luxuries and just focusing and working hard, getting up early, you know, all of that will help you get your goal and achieve your goals in life. Now, if you have somebody else doing it with you, that'll help you get there even quicker. If your household lives that way, you'll get ahead over everybody else in the neighborhood. Turns out if your neighbors are doing it in concert with you, you can band together and really do it, you know? And so then you see, okay, this is a community of people with shared beliefs and they are going to work hard to get where they want to go in life. Um, I understand it at that level. (laughs) It grows (laughs) to a certain point where it's like, or that level of rigor is good for certain personality types, but adding in a dash of creativity or a dash of um, letting the steam, you know, the valve steam off for a little bit can actually expedite productivity for certain types of people. You need to start sprinkling in all of those things and having a little bit more uh, critical thinking assessment of who's good at what and let's apply them in those roles. And then you can really turn the after boosters on. The problem is where you and I are at now in Southern California, it's the opposite of the rigor. It's the all giving into the luxuries and the gluttony and all that kind of stuff. It really is. It really is funny how you are correct that when the calendar does flip to December, People do not actually count down to the World Surf League Championship Tour season. What they do is literally, I feel it used to, stuff used to slow down December 10th-ish, right? Now stuff really stops basically during Thanksgiving and stays stopped for a month or more, which is great. I'm all yeah, for by, it. By stuff, do you mean professional surfing or business and commerce? Just business, business, business yeah. commerce, emails, like any kind of work stuff you know yeah. doesn't doesn't for me doesn't for the work of a surf journalist i plow through like a good jehovah's witness but the rest of yeah my life i guess the kind of busy work gets exponentially lighter during this time yeah well that's because we, we you know uh the corporate american culture gets two weeks off per year whereas other countries get six and yeah. things like that so if yeah. you only give us two we're going to take those four back on our own terms, basically, yep, exactly. and give you very shoddy work for that month of December. I love it. And I love also that every year, Vans decides to give at least 500 employees a nice early vacation, an extended break, vacation. Break it down, because I, I have seen your article about it, uh, but I, I have not been really following what's going on in that company, but it really seems like a fall from a power position in a quick succession. Yeah, I mean, and it's not just Vans. Let the record note, it is VF Corp, who is Vans' uh, ownership group. But I think Vans is has been one of the major, I want to say, weights on VF's portfolio. Uh, as they stated in the Shop Eat Surf, whatever their press release too, it's like, yeah, the lost a lot of money, losing a lot of money, even though I, it's all wild. This the business, Mr. Business is a wild I think they made three billion or something, but missed expectations by X amount of billions. I don't know. I'm not even going to pretend to get into it. I'm no business major, but somehow 500 more jobs were cut. Where I looked back in the records, it was I can't remember. Maybe it was even 1,500 jobs cut there uh, last year at this time. And so it's an annual tradition at VF Corp to wholesale fire massive amounts of people 
right in the holiday season. Merry Christmas, employees. They're on an upward trend. 500 is one third of what they cut last year. So yeah. they're, it's actually yep. two thirds better than we were doing yep. last year. It is. I mean, imagine how many employees, that's a lot of employees. You're just firing and firing and firing. How many employees does VF Corp have? That's a great question. Because These are all salaried positions too. It wasn't like the Vans store employee. These are salaried VF Corp positions. Yeah. Yeah, 500. I mean, at a certain point, it doesn't even, it's less of a news story when it's a yep. huge number. If you just heard that 20 employees got cut, you're like, those are individual human beings, man, yeah. Christmas is ruined, you know, but it gets to a certain level to where you're just like, oh, it's just a statistic, I no, guess. 500, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's wild though. It's wild that they do it. You know, I know the way that quarters go in business and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but but you would think that they would say, okay, look, we're projecting out here. We're going to see, I mean, I guess it's probably all for their stock bump and blah, blah, but you'd think, you know, we're seeing the projections here. Let's either do it after Christmas or let's do it in the summer or something. But it seems like kind of extra cold blooded to wholesale fire during the holiday season. Yeah, it really does. Um, I'm wearing Vans right now, by the way. Oh, nice. How are they? I love these things. Oh, is that a Vans mule? This is a Vans mule with extra grip on the bottom, like traction. So I actually wear them outside more than I wear them in the house, but they're warm. So it's like... It's the type of season where if I wore an UGG, I'd be way too, I'd overheat. Yep. But if I wear a sandal or go barefoot, I'm a little too cold. The mule that is warm on the toes is the perfect solution. I think this is exactly what Vans has been struggling with and why people keep getting laid off. Not the fact that they're making a mule, but I think they keep on searching for what is our next iconic product. Product. We have the classics, right? We have the shoe that people buy that I feel was more on trend a couple years back, like you'd see, you know, any kid aged what, you know, eight to 17 had a pair of Vans classics on. Now mm -hmm. you don't see it as much anymore. And so they're losing, you know, and that was their business. So I think they have to think, okay, how, how do we get people into another shoe? So I guess the experimentation, the little elves, the unfired elves in the Vans offices are making mules. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I should state what well, we should look into also has any of the surf team been cut? Ooh, uh, I would imagine. I would imagine quietly. I would imagine the not your John Johns, but on your bottom end, there's contracts not being renewed. I bet nobody's getting cut, but I bet contracts not being renewed. Yeah, John isn't part of the team. His brothers oh, are. Oh, yeah. That's um, but the Godowskis brothers I'm thinking of. Uh, Dylan Graves, I'm thinking of, has had kind of a big role there. Joel, Joel Tudor. So we need to look into that, whether they've been affected or not. Um, I would like to state, though, that I'm a big fan of the company and what they've done in surfing, I think, has always been very valuable contributions. And the way that they've treated the athletes, the content that they've created, it has always been authentic, you know, sure. off the wall. So yeah, I'm a big fan. Sad to see it become such a corporate thing that it becomes almost distant. But yep. All right, we've got a bunch of fan engagement this show, a bunch of emails and actually listener line calls I'm not going to play. I don't think we're going to have time, but maybe we can get to those next week. But the first email comes in from Portugal and he says, hello, David and Chaz. This is Miguel, longtime listener from Portugal. Congratulations on the show. A few episodes ago, you mentioned the fact that Porsche had entered the surf industry by designing and building surfboards. This immediately reminded me of Mercedes that you also mentioned in the show when they started sponsoring Garrett McNamara. I distinctly remember the video that they made. 
in which it looked like their engineers spent hours and hours R&Ding the design to develop the perfect board for the Nazare waves. The guys dressed in white lab coats, computers doing mathematical calculations, the professional hardworking scenario, all to show how hard they work to come up with the perfect formula. Isn't marketing the best? Well, I'm almost 100% sure that I was the among the very first human beings to actually see those surfboards because I witnessed them being built and it wasn't anywhere near Stuttgart. From attempts with different types of foam from sty everyday styrofoam to e high quality EPS, hand glued stringers made out of PVC to wood, calibrating the weight of the board with embedded fishing weights, all kinds of handcrafted solutions you can imagine, the precise kind that all toe surfboard builders have tinkered with. One thing I can guarantee, no engineer was involved. All these boards, at least the first ones that I saw, but probably all of them, were not built in a factory or in a laboratory. They were built on very normal shaping site, one where the dogs roam freely, where foam dust floats in the air and the smell of resin pervades. All of this is to say, after those boards left, I doubt that Mercedes engineers took over and dedicated hours of work to developing the surfboard any further. I'm sure they have better things to do, like build cars. And I bet it's the same case with Porsche. I just wanted to share this insight with you because I think it deserves some discussion and also slightly casts a shadow over the real surfboard shaper. Keep work, Mikael. I kind of like, I mean, not only kind of, I very much like that insight. And it makes me feel two ways all at once it makes me feel like obviously the surfboard shapers out there they have so much knowledge nobody can beat them right even though i think yeah last week i specified a tow board i don't know what a tow board is right and so i would imagine that maybe or could imagine that a porsche or mercedes you know engineer could figure out something because it doesn't need to paddle and all that kind of stuff but also knowing that, you know, there's also uh, toe board shapers who have been doing that for years and years and years. And how are you going to beat their expertise? How are you going to beat their, not only what they do, but they're getting direct feedback from toe surfers, right? Who are coming back and saying, oh, you know, it's what, it's a bit too heavy. I, it feels this way when I do this, et cetera, et cetera. You cannot uh, manufacture or recreate, I think, that kind of field testing anywhere, which leads us to Kyleni's backflip. What about Kai Lenny's backflip? Do you not see it? I mean, which one? The one at Haleiwa? No, the one at on at Jaws. Oh, no. You didn't see oh, this? I didn't see this. No, oh, is this it... new? Like, did he just do yeah, this? A couple days ago, yeah, from the Black oh. Friday swell. He was, like, going so fast and just hucked a mid-face backflip. Like, you know, obviously strapped in on a towboard. But, like, hucks a backflip and comes out of it going so fast down the face of the wave it has to be one of the fastest bit bits of surfing i've ever seen he is flying but all to say though back to the toe you know like kylenny whatever toe board strap toe board he's on and whatever whoever shapes that and whatever feedback he's giving to the shaper is unrecreatable totally so just on kylenny he it's basically an ollie like he does it mid face just under his own power yeah, I mean, he he hits a chop, I'm sure, oh, mid-face okay. or whatever. Like, uh, but he was it wasn't an accident, right? I think he said in the in his caption or something that he had gone out and this is what he was looking to do or something like that. So, you know, in a 
a mid-face chop at Jaws is bigger than any wave I have ever ridden in my entire life, just the mid-face chop itself. And so, yeah, but it it doesn't look what it's he's clearly strapped but it looks very snowboardy right uh yeah, but yeah. it looks cool too like it doesn't look like oh come on like i don't know it didn't look like a zoltan torcos kickflip where right. you're just like okay i get it it's gimmicky it like lenny's backflip looked both weirdly functional and pretty cool and only one person on the planet can do it yeah like backflip. he's just undeniable you know he's so far out by the way like of you know, there's some people like surfing might evolve to that level at some point, just in the sense that in the way that uh, Christian Fletcher was doing straight airs in the 80s. And now people are still trying to reach that level of height and loft that he was getting back then. Like surfing might evolve in that direction. And Peter King actually posted a clip that I thought you were talking about a week ago on. Uh, it was at Holly Eva, Kai Lenny strapped in doing a flip off of a off the lip though like hits it almost like an alley-oop section yeah but does a flip instead and lands it clean and peter king's uh caption said something to the effect of hey remember last year when vans forced quote progression in their criteria for the digital triple crown and single fins were deemed progressive craft and straps were not allowed into the category. Like, how's that working for you guys, Vans? I mean, and, it's silly. And it was silly at the time. I mean, the the word was wrong. Vans could have done what they were trying to do and just say alternative craft. They happened to use the word progressive and then encouraged people to ride old retro craft, you know? But the idea of straps, I mean, they are very progressive. And actually, Rush Randall was doing it in the 80s. You know, I remember growing up on magazines where there were guys in straps and it seemed at that point like it was um, almost made fun of. It was like lampooned almost by the real surf, quote, real surf community. Uh, and it still kind of is to a certain degree. It's it's interesting to me, uh, like, A, I love that Kyle Lenny, you know, for as much as he can be, I don't know, kind of poked and prodded and made fun of lightly, like uh for you know just being out there whatever i love that kyleni stays on his program and feels like he is unbent or unbothered by the opinions of others where because obviously he paddles jaws and stuff like that it's not like he's a full-on strap guy but why not with the straps right which is interesting i suppose exactly to your point that it hasn't taken off at all right like i mean they went through the moment where was the movie actually called strapped or Laird Hamilton was the strapped part of the strapped crew. Remember it was, yeah, I forget what it was called. Yeah. I, I mean, they were, whatever that movie was called, but they were part of the strapped crew. It might've been in riding giants or something like that. But in any yeah. case, you know, really pushing kind of windsurf, uh, which, uh, Kyle, any windsurfs too. Right. And so pushing that kind of ethos and that kind of progression into traditional serving or, or making that hybrid, which, it felt like around that time or just after that, people started paddling, really paddling Jaws. Like nobody had ever paddled Jaws before that, right? Jaws was a pure tow wave. And right. then people started paddling. And then the surf world kind of attention went over to paddling bigger and bigger waves. And nobody cared about, okay, if you're towing in and doing stuff with straps on, then that's not nearly as cool. But I don't know... I fully get the purity of paddling in and I love that. 
but I don't know why you can't have both, right? Like this is not, surfing is not an either or thing. Uh, definitely when it comes to sups, those are outlawed. <laughs> we do not like that. But towing strap on huge waves, I don't know, you know, if they're getting in the way, but, you know, again, I haven't, am no expert in this, but I don't, it doesn't feel like there's the, or you don't read about the lineup problems of old kind of, of, you know, uh, what skis buzzing the lineup when people are paddling. It seems like there's a clear understanding of when to paddle and when to tow. Yeah. There is now that yeah. community has figured it out. And the dividing line is size. The waves get so big that it becomes a tow day because they're too big to paddle into, you know, I love and, the self-regulation and... there that, that they decide as a community, it's not like a government comes in and says, okay, the waves are this high now, you know, put your paddle stuff away. It's time to tow. Like they, as a community figured this out without regu outside regulation. It took 10 years, <laughs> you know, it took a bit of time and like a lot of uh, kerfuffles along the way. And I think it was mainly that the people who were towing wanted to learn how to tow when it was 20 feet, not when it was 80 feet. You yeah. Know? Um, and so there was that, you know, that decade, but now I think they've all got it figured out and the tow community has respect for the paddle community and is going to let them have the 40 day, 40 foot days essentially. And they'll wait for the 60 foot days. And then of course the slab community, the surfing Cyclops are doing what Russell Bierke is doing. Those guys are, you know, nobody can paddle into those waves anyways. Yeah. I mean, well, but yeah, back to Kai, back to strapped all of it or, and all the way back to toe boards and how they're made yep i'm glad that the backyard shaper or the backyard toe board shaper with the dog running around the shaping room still has a leg up on porsche or mercedes engineers they do for sure and porsche or mercedes again does have better things to do and more profitable things to do it really feels like this is just a marketing branding thing you know and good for them for by the way buying those boards from the shaping community and i've talked to some of those shapers in the past maybe not Porsche Mercedes boards, but the guys who do like the Chanel or whatever. Chanel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're, they're under NDA because yeah. otherwise they would be broadcasting. Hey, we're making these boards Yeah, except they can't talk about it. Um, but the, I've held like more, I remember a Maurice Cole board at some point he, cause he was doing all of Ross Clark Jones's boards for all the big waves he was exploring. And, uh, it was a 10 pound six foot surfboard. Yeah. It was six feet long, knifey, really foiled, like a high performance shortboard virtually, except it was 10 pounds heavy. It was crazy. And it looked like a race car. I mean, the thing was incredible looking. I mean, those, those kinds of crafts for waves that I will never, ever, ever even think about attempting to even think about. Uh, I remember, you know, like the, from, from that end was the, was Ross Clark Jones a, a tow board? Obviously, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so even uh, when I was uh, on the North Shore once, doing something with Jamie O'Brien, and I think it was around Eddie time, and he was preparing his Eddie board, right? And feeling one of those Eddie, like he had weights, right, in the nose, like removable weight system in the nose, where you could. And I was just thinking, my goodness, this board is so huge, and the all oh, the weights and all of this can't even imagine needing that or or what that would feel like well it's counter to our surfing experience where you want yeah. to go lightweight you yeah know? it's a whole different thing um all right we got another email coming in 
I'm not even going to give you a preface for this. Okay. I want to lead you down the path of where it's going. Ready. General Scales and Admiral Smith, I see that my calls for La La Revolution have gone unanswered. I get it. I didn't do anything either. And it was a vague call to action with no steps provided. But I think I know how we can achieve a small victory in the war for surfing's core. My scouts have alerted me that there is a second season of of the Red Bull show, No Contest, starring Admiral Smith's age-old nemesis, Emperor Goggins. In this show, I hear that Emperor Goggins rides boards that are built for tandem surfing while eating his way through various paradises of our surfing world. Ew. Are we just going to sit here and accept the transcendence of Emperor Goggins into the divine level as a global spokesperson for our sport? Or are we going to accept this transformation into the Anthony Bourdain of surfing? I say, hell no. But who shall fill this void? Who is well-traveled, well-groomed, surfs fine enough, is thoughtful, has been a writer for many years, and has a degree in English? The answer has been right in front of us all along. I am talking now directly to you at Surf Journalist. If your instant handle wasn't already assigned, let this be known. You are the chosen one. You are meant to be the surf journalist for the traveling surfer. You can be the next voice that in- introduces Western society to the many surf cultures of the world and share what bounties in waves, vibes, and culture are out there. But of course, still keeping the grit. You may be asking, but Private Jim, where will I go to get funding for dethroning the Emperor Goggins? To which I reply, there is another age-old nemesis that goes toe-to-toe with Red Bull on everything and has a history of supporting the core. They call it Monster. Insert dramatic music. You hear me. We need at Surf Journalists to transcend and become the Anthony Bourdain but stop short of going full Bourdain for our sport and monster energy might be willing to fund such a noble cause. I don't know. I'm not an agent, but I think you, Admiral Smith might know some strings to pull work. James from SD. Ooh, James, thank you so much for the belief. Uh, wow. Uh, yeah. Have you watched any of the new no contests? I have. You? I'm a, I'm actually a big fan. Is it a good show? It is a good show. How many how many episodes have you watched? Um, three. What they've gone to? Uh, uh, San Francisco. Three. Yeah, that's what it was. San, San Francisco, Francisco, Morocco, Morocco, Tahiti, Tahiti. Okay, and you're you're saying they're good. I, I really enjoy them, dude. And the Anthony Bourdain analogy is apt. Like it feels like it was modeled after No Reservations, and I of think course, that it has the same font and everything as No Reservations. I mean, they don't even I try think, to. Yeah, I think Ashton even mentioned that years ago when he was talking about the show, that that was the inspiration for it. So um, they're very well done. They're very well produced. I am not anti-Ashton at at all, you know, but I think they could have a better host. Like the show is very strong and the host feels... um, He's just trying hard all the time. You know what I mean? Like he just feels like he's trying hard. Like his interviews with people, he is overly laughing at their jokes, overly trying to be their friends, all that sort of thing. But he does a lot of the writing I've noticed in the credits and the writing's very good. Like the um, the context that they provide, the history, the background, the cultures, the people that they choose to interview along the way are all like 
excellent choices. There's so many fascinating characters in every episode. So I think that he is involved in the production and some of those decisions and he does a good job at it. I think they just need a different actual host in front of the camera. Yeah. I mean, I think Ashton, like Ashton's personality and whatnot, doesn't, doesn't play well. You don't want Anthony Bourdain never seemed like he was or rarely, I haven't watched a ton of no reservations, but watched enough to know he never feels like he's cloying with his guests. Like he's, he was always cooler or as cool. And so didn't need to like beg for approval. Like Ashton's got that, such that puppy dog, like me, want me, you know, I'm me. We're the same. We're both cool guys. I'm a cool guy. You're a cool guy, which that thing right there is, is hard to, hard to take much of, to be honest. I think it works great for the producer role. Like yeah. all of that is a valuable asset behind the camera and making pulling strings and getting approval to go certain places. Phenomenal. But on camera, it feels schmarmy. And everybody says that in the comment section, you know? And so I wonder sometimes like how much of Yuren Ashton's fights have followed him. And that commentary is related to his, you know, quote misdeeds from eight years ago. <laughs> And and people, you know, I don't think wanna, I bet be... not a lot. I bet Ashton's smarminess is so like even me not bringing any beef up, me just looking at it, looking at it objectively. He's really hard to watch. He is like such a smarm fool, right? And and it comes off, I think, as really uh, what like ungenuine, right? It's or disingenuous because. You can't be friends with everyone and be everywhere all at once, right? Where I think, I don't know, I read a comment about the San Francisco one where he was claiming, you know, local status in San Francisco uh, because he lived there before, which is all fine and good. But but I think Ashton's the kind of guy who would claim local status everywhere, right? Like if he lived in, he'll claim for sure Florida local status because that's where he grew up. He will claim probably Oceanside local status because that's where he lives now or if he does live there or whatever. Like he's one of those guys where you can't, you know, he's like trying to be in the moment of wherever he is and you just can't. You got to be someone. And I think Ashton, uh, you know, that's, I think his personality is not very deep in that way. I think he cares more about being liked than anything else. That's ultimately what it all boils down to, I think. And that's transparent and that's what the consensus of the comments kind of always point to. So that's unfortunate, but the series itself is very good. I mean, the, I, I look the, forward to it. The idea of going, traveling the world with a, with like good production value to learn about different surf cultures is great. Right. I mean, and again, I don't watch the show, but uh, one other kind of beef I have with it, I suppose is, yeah, there's one thing to hook up with like the, like, I don't know, hooking up with uh, pros and stuff like that, or real notable people along the way, I think is a little, you're getting a skewed look at these places, right? You're getting like the totally privileged look. And I know that Bourdain did that, of course, with no reservation. He wasn't going to talk to schmucks in whatever restaurant somewhere, right? He was always with the award-winning chef who was doing the cool thing, or, you know, the musician or someone, his entree into these places wasn't as average dude but Bourdain was not an average dude to begin with he was already a notable personality right like part of what I would like to see more if I was going to do this show uh I would leave off with the real kind of name players 
and go actually get into a, a surf. Mor- what is Morocco surf community? I've surfed in Morocco before. And the little dudes I was with, that was way more fascinating. Their like not famous lives was to me a way more interesting look at Morocco than the clips I've seen from Ashton in Morocco. You should, you should watch it. Okay. I'll you, do it. You, I think that you will be surprised at um how well it's done okay. because they do they do a lot of what you just suggested actually. a lot of like lower down dudes and it seems like yeah some of the comments i guess i read were just all you're getting a skewed look because all they are is with these notable pro guys who are you know taking them places and not and yeah but skewing not, the the view that's not always true okay. it's partially true some of the times but they also do uh like in the morocco episode for example they go and visit this pottery maker Mm-hmm. who has been oh, there sir. forever and like it's clearly an important part of that community and that culture and it's um there's a lot of in- interesting characters throughout every episode that are like that that aren't to do with any commercial connection or sponsor being involved in the trip or anything or a professional surfer or anything so uh they're well done i will say but i like i still like uh james and san diego's pitch for you because i think that you could do a version of this i think i don't know if you have the time in your life to be traveling the world anymore because like that's the other thing i watched this and i go ashton he spent i think he said in that episode the morocco episode he goes i was scheduled to be here for two weeks and i stayed for three months yeah i'm like how do you stay somewhere for three months who lives a life to where you can just drop everything and stay somewhere i am first of all, jealous of what, of that, you know? Yeah. I mean, but Ashton, you know, he doesn't have kids. Like uh, if he is married, I think he is married, but like, you know, I'm sure that his wife comes with or whatever. Like yeah, she has a, she's working as part of the crew, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So he has a nomadic life where that's, you know, like back that's in awesome. Yeah. And Florida surf film festival day. I remember meeting, did you meet them? The, the couple who is sailing around the world. No, and you told me about him, or somebody told me about him. Yeah, dude, like I met him at the Florida Surf Film Festival. Dude had oh yes, ne- yeah, yes, had never yes, sailed, yes. had never done anything. Got a boat, sailboat, fixed it absolutely beautifully. Figured all this out, and he and I think I met this dude. What it must have been like. Eric. His name's Eric, by the way. Eric met Eric and his wife two years ago now, and they have literally been doing this for two years. Like I follow them on Instagram. What is their handle? Surfari yeah something uh, yeah it eric and jenny i think is his wife's name and they're um, and, but but they are doing it they went they had this vision of what they were going to do and it wasn't like he came from this if i recall from the sailing family or they, they had like literally no experience they just had a dream of doing this and they've been for two years sailing around the world surfing fishing their boat is beautiful like their life is absolutely enviable and they chose to do this right like they chose to live this life it's incredible. Yeah. So I, I'm trying to look them up on Instagram right now and I can't find it quickly, but I'll post it on today's, uh, with today's show Surf. notes. Um, yeah. If you can find it, but yes, th- they, when we met them at the Florida surf film festival, they were, they had the boat, they were getting the boat ready. They were provisioning it, all that kind of stuff. It is sailing and, surfaris or sailing surfari, sailing underscore surfari. Thank you. And it, he has a YouTube channel where he documents a lot of this stuff that they've been doing. And so at the time he was even tentative about how long the trip would be. He was like, I don't know, it might be six months or something. We're not exactly sure. Here's the first leg of the journey that we have mapped out. We'll see where it goes from there. 
That was three years ago. They're still yeah. on the boat. They're still doing it. It's incredible. Totally. It is an incredible follow. And, but, but, you know, back to Ashton or like, yeah, when you build your life, if you build your life that way, you, there's, you know, sacrifice, there's, you give up things, you get things, but yeah, I mean, good on Ashton for, for, uh, sorting out his life where he gets to do this. I wonder how, how does it do? Do you know, no contest, how many views and whatnot does it get? Can you see, or is I, it only, does it not live on YouTube anymore? It doesn't live on YouTube. It's only on Red Bull and I can't even embed it on my site. Like okay. they approve Stab Magazine to embed it because they're in partnership with them. Yep. Uh, but you have to go to either Stab or Red Bull and there's no viewer count. But I think mm -hmm. the fact that they're in season two is a you know an indicator that it's doing well. Great. Well, good on Ashton. Yeah. But on Ashton. I'm, coming, I'm, I'm coming after you, Ashton. I'm going to come after you with the monster claw. I'm going to rip lives, your face off. He lives on the North Shore, by the way. Ashton does? Yeah. I mean, he fully claims North Shore local. I guarantee it when he's out, <laughs> when he's like not on the North Shore, but if he's out and about other places, for sure, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I live on the North Shore. So, you know, I'm tapped in there. It's my, well, kind he, of my scene, my crew. He, he does. I mean, it, to your point, though, he's created a life uh, that he designed, that he yeah. is able to do exactly what he loves, you know? So, Shout, uh, good for him. I'm jealous of that in certain ways. I mean, Great I feel job, like Aston. I've created a, a life that I've designed as well, but the sacrifices that I gave along the way are the ones that he picked, you know, like being able to travel endlessly, surf all the time, live on the North shore. Those are all sacrifices where it was either that way or a different way. And I picked a different way, which I'm very happy with, but it's like, it's good for him, you know? Yeah. Good job, Ashton. I'm going to call um, the cops on you. So this relates directly to that. Uh, this is another listener email that came through. It says, the head, the subject line said, it's always offshore on the World Wide Web. Dear David and Chaz, longtime listener and reader of The Grit, please discuss digital nomads. I used to focus my ire on forecasts and surf cameras, but technology's infection into surfing has spread well beyond that. The amount of nomadic surfers who work remotely has absolutely blown up my previously quiet surf life. I'm talking about surfers with no fixed addresses. They are white collar professionals earning wages pegged to developing countries with high costs of living who are now chasing waves in developing countries. Let's leave it vague so as not to out myself, but Southeast Asia, Latin America, North Africa, and these digital nomads have no intention of returning home. I can't blame them for enjoying living like royalty, saving a small fortune, and surfing the best waves all at the same time. We all know breaks are busier than ever these days, but what irks me is the level of mediocrity and entitlement that they have in and out of the water. Instant gratification, convenience, gentrification, they have privilege and seemingly not a care in the world. I won't get into, I won't even get into the fact that they are usually beautifully physiqued, uh, beautifully aesthetic people with new boards from well-known shapers and oh, how they talk the talk. But most often they surf far below even my intermediate mediocrity in the water. It is a worldwide phenomenon. Maybe they can't afford to buy a home in San Diego or San Francisco, but they are running rampant in my beach town, living like royalty on land and cooking it in the water. Please discuss, love the show, keep the work. 
Thank you so much. Shining a spotlight on the important issue of our day. Forget George Santos being expelled from Congress. This truly is a thing that should be discussed because to his point, what the, the problem I have with them in is this kind of living and have had even pre-digital nomad days is the, these kinds of people who make their money elsewhere uh, and live somewhere, they have no tie or connection. The only thing they're doing to the community where they choose to live is sure, they're like buying food and stuff, right? They're part of the kind of economy in that way. But other than that, there's like, they are leeches onto places, right? They're no, they're not sinking roots in. They're not like really learning about this culture. This, this does not mean anything to them other than what it can give them, right? These, these kinds of people who live somewhere, uh, they're not like, okay, I'm, you know, this place just speaks to me, right? It is where I really want to be. I want to contribute here. I want to learn about here. I want to learn the language. I want the whole thing. I feel like this kind of phenomena is such selfishness to an nth degree of, you know, I am here for me. I'm not here for anybody but me. Well, his point, I think, is kind of the gets to the heart of the matter, which is their entitlement coming from privilege and then just not understanding that you even have that. And so you enter just with your own sense of self. And I mean, the, what we love about surfing is that is it is a meritocracy, right? So when I showed up at the beach, when I was 12 years old, first learning how to surf, it was just, everybody's equal until you see them get up and riding on a wave and yep. whoever rips, that's the king. Yeah, It didn't matter what salary they earned, what kind of car they showed up to the beach in. It doesn't even matter what kind of board they're riding because sometimes it was somebody riding a beater, you know, and that it's just, it's clear as that. What's happening in his scenario, it used to be that way, but now there's people showing up who are bringing the privilege that they have on land and with them into the water. And they have so little awareness of the etiquette and the culture that they think that still applies in the water. They're unaware that their kookiness now puts them at the bottom of the social, economic, socio-status, you know? Like they are, they're just kooking it and they're unaware that they're kooking it and they're still trying to paddle for set waves and they're probably not taking turns and it's annoying. I had a wonderful conversation yesterday with Adam from The Reader, the local paper here, about a much, yeah, like about basically this really where, people's lack of this kind of modern group that's coming to surfing let's you know i don't know if it can be generalized to the you know pandemic era learners or whatever but when i started surfing like knowing not only exactly what you said knowing who ripped and all that but knowing how that applied to you knowing where you fit in this thing but it was also because you cared or i cared so deeply about surfing in general right about yeah, yeah. every part of it I feel the new people who have come on, they care about two aspects of it. They care about it, that it's fun, and they care about it, that it's exercise. Beyond that, there's no care about the social structure of surfing, about the history of surfing, about the hierarchies of surfing, about the all the subtle cultural bits in surfing. They don't care about it. They're out there having fun, being fit, right? And so this digital nomad in wherever, Costa Rica or Indonesia or wherever they are, 
he doesn't even care, right? He is not, or she is looking at, they're not looking at the culture of surfing. Just like I feel they're not looking at the culture on land. On land, they have a nicer house, they have better food, and they probably have a maid or, you know, childcare or whatever. In the water, they are getting waves that they wouldn't otherwise be getting, you know, surfing, but they don't care about this. They do not care about any part of it. They only care about how it makes them feel. And it it's clear that they don't care because they show up acting like the entitled American that they are, yeah. you know, like showing up with the fancy brand new quiver of surfboards. Like you wouldn't do that. I mean, Ever. If, I go, if I go into, if I go into a third world, wherever I'm traveling to go surfing, usually uh, I don't wear my fanciest clothing. I, I strip everything down. You know what I mean? It's like bring one pair of board, two pairs of board shorts you know, more my, to the, Vare, my Vare watch, well, and Vare keep watch it for sure. And but one pair to, of sandals. Like you don't want to show up and make noise. More to the point though, if you show up with a brand new high performance, sick board, right? Dialed in with the wax, like Ron from board porn, your tail patch put on perfectly, your brand new, whatever leash, like everything all dialed in. How much shame would you feel walking to the beach knowing that you don't rip up to the standard that your board is presenting, right? Like totally. The like you have that I think the surfer who cares has an internal ticker thinking, "Oh man, I'm walking with this sick board and I know I'm going to bog rail." Um and but I think this digital nomad dude doesn't know that. I think he thinks no, he doesn't. I'm on the sickest board. I'm out ripping like everybody else. Like the and because he doesn't care to learn, doesn't care to learn on land, doesn't care to learn in the water, cares about eating good, drinking good, feeling good, having fun, being fit. Yeah, there's definitely that is detrimental, not only to the community at large, but to your own self and your own wealth and health. Um, I don't know. This came up in conversation in the last couple of weeks, but I don't think it was with you, but it was about um, Felipe Pomar's wanting to surf to 100 that's his whole thing. And one of his tenets of that, the tenets you would think are very obvious, like health, you know, fitness, keep your body in shape, put the right things, you know, diet in your body. But the other tenet of it was being of service in the community, Yeah, which is something that you wouldn't necessarily think of, but he, and I've heard other people as they age reference that more and more, which is being of service, not just being integrated into the community, but being of service giving to something. the community. Yeah, yes. giving something. Gives being you part. purpose, yep. builds you up. You have more longevity in life when you're involved in that type of a role. And so that digital nomad surfer isn't aware of that detail. You know? Yeah. Like it's not all about you. It's not all about getting the most waves. No. It's go out there and give away some waves. Get into a priority position and hoot in the next person who's in line, you know? I mean, and I wonder how many of these people, right? Like, how, again, how many of them care about the community at all, either the surf community or the community on land? Like, I feel that there's very little care about culture in general, be it surf or, you know, broader definitions of, of culture. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that's all I have to say about that. But we have a tools to live by inquiry from a listener, if you've got time for it. I sure do. All right. Tools to live by is presented by Vayer Watches. Vayerwatches.com is where you go. I would normally give you our promo code, but they are doing the holiday kind of year end sale, which is greater 
than our promo code. So you can get 20% off if you go to Vayer Watches. Um, it, just, it brings me joy. I look down at the thing. I feel there's a mechanical old school element to it that I just really appreciate. And I just have joy looking at it. And so I'd say, give the gift of joy to somebody else in your life with a quality crafted timepiece. You have a couple gifts of joy. Just think how happy your father, your father-in-law, your brother, your brother-in-law, et cetera, et cetera, will feel when you give them a watch. It is a timeless gift really uh, that, that shows real class. Like giving a watch is classy. Giving a watch is a great gift. Everybody mm -hmm. appreciates a watch. It's Bayer so does free US shipping, easy returns, waterproof warranty. Check them out for yourself. You'll love them. They're assembled in America. Uh, can't say enough good things about the watches, but they are our ultimate tool. So listeners inquire for advice. They need tools to live by. This one comes in from one of your neighbors, actually. Great. Chaz, yeah. He said, quote, my lovely current holiday situation is this for DLS, Chaz, and the general beach grip community beyond. I need to pick up my possessions from my ex-wife after our divorce was finally finalized. No domestic items. Couldn't care less about any of that. Note the proper use there, DLS. Yes, I do. Thank you for using it correctly. Couldn't care less. Uh, he goes on to say, I'll be picking up about a dozen surfboards, mostly Rusty's, a Cordell or two, a couple of travel board bags, and a few snowboards. After nearly six years of the horrendous family court system, I can't fully remember what inventory remains. Of course, I've purchased and have been riding surfboards in that time, but I need advice for what to do with this old, but still probably very decent quiver. Should I, A, pick up the boards and use them or sell them myself, this option comes with a huge swallowing of pride, with a feeling of groveling for the crumbs of the relationship, or B, give away all of these boards to someone in North County, San Diego, who would be willing to pick them up so that I don't have to deal with her or anything further, thus pervert preserving some credibility. Some or many could use these donated boards or trade anyone could benefit uh, or trade anyone who could benefit from them. This would provide me with some belief that I've tried to give back and help someone who needs a board these days or see double thing, double middle fingers to the see you next Tuesday. And I'm out, sell the stuff yourself, put the money into the daughter's college account to replenish all the attorney's fees that she's wasted. This option may not use the boards in an optimal way, but also has forms of vindication that cannot be measured. Uh, also, I have finally subscribed to your guys' work after uh, mooching all of these years. The proof is attached. Work. Thank you so much, first and foremost, for the subscription. We don't talk about it enough, David Lee, but I treasure each and every one. Five bucks a month. You can support our work. Go to surfsplendorpodcast.com. There's a subscription tab. Click on it. You can set it up in one minute. It takes almost no time at all. You can cancel at any time, but it is the bedrock of this work. Over the years, advertising revenue fluctuates. Some months are good, some months are not. And that listener support at $5 bricks, that's the foundation of the work. Thank you so much, dear, dear listeners. And this one, David Lee, I feel very confident that B is the only right answer. Is you... Two birds, one stone here. You don't have to deal with the X. You also don't have to look like you're groveling and like 
doing stuff, you've already forgotten about these boards, right? These boards, to me, when something is put away, takes me maybe six months to entirely forget about it, right? Like, so you can get these back and I'm sure there might be one or two in there like, oh, this board was went sick, right? The feeling of that is not going to be as good as the feeling of not dealing with it at all. A, B, doing something good with them, donating, like figure out the cause, right? There's gotta be a good cause, I feel, that could really use these boards and that would make you feel good and that would actually be doing some good. And then also having the ex have to deal with the person coming over, you know, knocking on the door, opening the garage, she'll be mad. She'll probably throw extra stuff in there too, like whatever, but all good because the cause is good. That's what I say. I say that's the only way to do it. Well, I'm going to mirror that for sure. I think that as for the boards themselves, I've actually regretted every board that I've ever sold. Um, I've also got burned out on most, most surfboards that I've ridden, you know, like I ride them enough to where I get burned out, but no matter how burned out you get a day will come sometimes a decade later where I'm like, I wish I could ride that board again. The resale market is so soft that the amount of money that you're going to get from selling it isn't worth selling. Like it's going to be gone faster than the, the money will be gone faster than the regret from having sold it. And so I agree with you. Option A of selling the boards is out. Yeah. Not worth it for the money. Option C of the double middle fingers to the see you next Tuesday is also a double middle fingers to the quiver because the exact friends, your friends, the surfboards who brought you joy when you were married to that woman, those are precious gems that have been neglected for these six years. They're drying up. They're yellowing. They're probably still have a vague sense of hope of your return or at the very least, somebody else's return and that gentle caress of the loving hands chaperoning it to the sea once more. So leaving them with her is an entirely wrong decision. And by the way, even if you tell her to sell them, there's no chance your ex-wife is taking your recommendation and going to sell it. And she's probably going to misappropriate the funds anyways. For so sure. option C is so far off. Uh this only leaves you with one option, which is option B, as which is Chaz which, already stated. And it's not even just the best of bad options. That's a great option right there, right? Again, these boards haven't been in your life already. Uh, you've got, you've built a new quiver. All of it's good. Give the gift of joy to somebody else, to an organization, to somebody, anybody. So I'm going to put the onus on him and he needs to find out what that organization is. For sure. However... If he cannot find a suitable fit, I was thinking that maybe we can help him find a worthy cause. Maybe we can Great just idea. help. Maybe we can just help connect the dots for him and say, "Hey, rather than putting these on Craigslist and having some crackhead show up at your wife ex-wife's house, which also could be a great strategy, um, maybe we can repost these on Instagram for you, or even on our website, and people in North County, San Diego." who can use the boards either to surf them or they have a cause that they can donate them to. We can just connect those dots, send them to your ex-wife's house for you. And, per and you know. that's perfect. I love it. David Lee scales. I'm willing and happy to do this work right here. Uh, also, I would like to know from listeners, like what are the good causes out there that, that could use surfboards, right? There's clearly I could get online and start going around and trying to find stuff, but 
I don't trust the internet. I trust our dear listeners. So I would like to know moving forward, where can people be pointed for things like this? Yeah, well, the Gadowskis brothers famously filled a container of surfboards and took it to Africa, South Africa for the, um, I forget the name of that organization was Surfers Not Street Kids, maybe mm -hmm. was the name of the organization. And they donated like 800 surfboards. And their original collection was only supposed to be like 40 surfboards. And so many people support it because so many of us have these surfboards that are, you know, not being ridden, uh, that they were, they were very supportive of the cause. So they're, but the Godowskis brothers, it was so much effort and it costs so much money to actually ship the thing that I don't think that they can do it consistently, no. but there's gotta be local Domestic, yeah, can, local yeah. stuff, depending on where you are in your community that both, and it's not just like, you know, giving the uh, surfboard to the Salvation Army, you know, I don't even think they take surfboards, to be honest, I think a lot of those don't take sporting equipment. But even, uh, even with that, right, like, that Salvation Army is not, the surfboard is only tr a transactional possible money to them. But there's right. got to be something where this surfboard retains its surfboard essence as you were talking about and gets to give back itself totally because it's really it's a slap in the face to the laborers who built that surfboard to let that thing go to waste or to go to the wrong let the ex-wife's monstrous hands get on that thing let her turn it into a mailbox exactly a bench yeah um, no i will say i should have started by saying that um chin up to that listener that sounds horrific. Going through six years of the family court system and spending all that money. I mean, but Chaz and I have both gone through a divorce. And so we can sympathize completely. And uh, I haven't gone through that family court system. We didn't have kids or anything like that. But holy cow, it is the worst. But if you're through it, good fella, then congratulations. Lift a glass of eggnog and toast your good fortune. <laughs> Well, that's honestly what I should have started by saying is it's way better on the other side of it. Yeah. My life is infinitely better now. Keep your chin up. Be optimistic. Times will get better. Let me tell you. Um, okay. Should we go to commercial commercial break? We should. Okay. Let's go. We're going to go. We're going to hear from manscaped.com. We, we haven't heard from Manscaped in so long, David Lee Scales. Well, you know, they were with us five years ago, I'd say, and uh, they've improved. Their, I mean, all their stuff was always kind of the best in class, but they've got a 5.0 version. I feel like we were on the 1.0 and we then were. transition and to the 2.0. 5.0. 5.0 now. Wow. So we're going to hear about that. Go to manscaped.com. The promo code is Splendor. That'll save you 20%. It's also a great gift, by the way. Totally. Uh, and then, of course, linkedin.com slash surf. So let's go to commercial. Merry Christmas from your friends over at Manscaped. The holidays are approaching, but celebrations are starting early this year. The perfect gift does exist, and who better to stuff your stocking than the leaders in below-the-waist grooming? Keep merry and let your bells jingle this season with Manscaped's brand-new Performance Package 5.0 Ultra. Featuring the new Lawnmower 5.0, look nice when you're getting naughty. 
We will save you 20% on manscaped.com with promo code SPLENDOR, and you can unwrap the gift of smoothness this season with Manscaped. I started using the lawnmower when it was in its 1.0 version. You can, in fact, hear me extolling the virtues of it five years ago on this podcast. But this 5.0 version has gotten light years better. Featuring two next-gen skin-safe blade heads, you can go wild with it in your most sensitive areas without the fear of nicks and cuts. It's waterproof, so you can use it in the shower for easy cleanup. And Manscaped has bundled it into a special sack. The performance package, which makes for an ideal gift, comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0 ear and nose trimmer, Crop Soother aftershave lotion, Crop Preserver anti-chafe ball deodorant, a pair of luxurious boxer briefs, and a toiletry bag. And you know what? You know that you're going to be spending this holiday with that sibling or cousin or uncle who has those errant nose or ear hairs that you just cannot stop staring at. So give them the gift of Manscaped's Performance Package 5.0. I will save you 20%. You can get free shipping. Just use our code SPLENDOR at manscaped.com. Get your jingle bells ready for the holidays and save 20% with code SPLENDOR at manscaped.com. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Chaz, we are back from commercial. We've given people advice on how to find jobs, how to hire, how to give gifts all that stuff. I feel the show is the perfect place all year round, but particularly when the holidays come around, because not only do we give gift advice, Vare is honestly the perfect gift. And now that Manscaped is back, Manscaped is the other perfect gift, but Manscaped is the perfect gift for yourself too. Who wants to go out to holiday parties and whatnot looking rough? And when you come home, you know, after some champagne, the aforementioned eggnog, things are getting flirty. You don't want to be like a weird, unkempt dude. So manscape up. But then also, so we got fair watches. We got personal grooming. 
We also have internal grooming David Lee Scales, keeping healthy through the holiday season with drinkag1.com slash surf, covering all your bases. I almost forgot about that. And you're right. And that's why I don't want to call out James from San Diego with his beautifully written email earlier, asking you to travel the world and write about it and film it. He referenced Monster Energy Drink. And I was like, you're right. That is the logical solution if you want to go toe-to-toe with Red Bull. But I would never put that in my body. I can't even co-sign Chaz partnering with them for any sort of production thing because it feels like the exact opposite of what I want to put in my body, which is water and drinkag1.com slash surf. Drinkag1.com slash surf too. I've recognized that I'm sure our listeners who have got on the program will like you get energy from that drinkag1.com slash surf living healthy drinking those good greens i get a pep in my step in the morning from more than just my coffee it's a pep in the step and it's also neuro synapses firing more rapidly you know just like a sharper kind of clarity that i have like i I didn't i didn't drink my like yeah i drank my drinkag1.com slash surf this morning looked at the internet and guess what I saw? What? Without this, I don't think I would have seen it, but my eyes sharpened, focused that John John Florence looks exactly like John Daly, the golfer. And John Daly might in fact be John John Florence's father. Oh my gosh. I don't think I would have known that otherwise. Who said, who made that connection? Uh, Somebody sent it to me in Instagram. And I, have you seen the new pictures of John Daly? No, he looks exactly like John John Florence. Oh yeah. my gosh! Yeah, okay. it was just one person on Instagram, but okay. I I saw I'm it. Dying. Too. I'm dying! Yeah. I'm dying to see this now. <laughs> um, that is hilarious. Yeah, well, okay, so I I had two thoughts as you were talking about male grooming. I I have I'm not going to say who it is, but a couple of people in my life, extended family, who always have some errant hair. And like, I only see them during a couple times a year, get togethers, birthdays and stuff. But it's like, there's an ear hair always sticking out. And I'm like, and, and a lot of them, you know, like they just don't trim that. But I'm looking, I'm going, wouldn't your wife at some point tell you, I guess yeah. maybe you're oblivious to this, but shouldn't your wife, because it is distracting. Yeah. I cannot even have a conversation with you without staring into your ear or yeah. off the lobe. Sometimes it's like an ear a hair running off the lobe. And it's like, dude, take care of that. And exactly to your point, grooming is not so much about vanity. And I don't think maybe like younger, it is about vanity. Being older and grooming is about being not totally distracting to others. Exactly to what you (laughs) like. It's somebody looks at you and they're not thinking necessarily, look at that handsome guy. What they're thinking is nothing, which is exactly what people should be thinking. You don't want them thinking, I mean, chances are for most of us, they're not thinking, look at that handsome guy. But what you definitely don't want them thinking is look at that dude's ear, look at that dude's nose, look at that dude's lower back, whatever like issue you do not want. You just want to be anonymous. The way you stay anonymous is by grooming. This is also advice for our guy who's going through the, or just got through going uh, through the divorce. If he's going to be out there in the dating world. When I was young, trying to find where I fit in the world, I don't know, 16 in high school or whatever, I'm looking around and I'm going, that guy is handsome. Okay. Like, I guess you either have it or you don't. Now that I'm in my forties, it's what you're talking about. It's all that you have to do. 
is not be gross. Yes. <laughs> and I, and I see, I see women who are just like, they'll be like, Oh my God, so-and-so is so good looking. And then I see who they're talking about. And I'm like, and they're just not gross. He that just, just he like did, a sh- yeah, yeah, he's just he did, average at best. He did but the bare minimum. He did the bare grooming. minimum because as dudes age, pot belly, all the hair they go or the hair in all the places you don't want it. And then they go bald and it's like, they'll even put up with a lot of that. They'll be like, I don't even, she's, I like bald guys, you know, yeah. or whatever it is. All that you have to do is not stink, groom yourself a little bit, and you're ahead of 80% of the other dudes. And the older you get, the more beneficial that percentage becomes for you totally. if you are groomed. And you don't, I mean, I guess feel free to go overboard if you want. Like who's the Italian guy the who like has the, he's like the older whatever italian model on dude a, on instagram on instagram yeah like i you, know who you're talking about but i don't know his name or you could do that if you want you could have the full waxed chest and the beard that's like has a shape in it or whatever you know that, yeah. i mean that takes so much time i'm not saying go there at all if you feel free if you want just do the bare minimum yeah. and you will be great and if you even want to lift a weight that's all bonus, but you don't yeah. even have to do that. All no. you have to do is groom. Yeah. I mean, legitimately. Now I will say it is for the other people, as you stated, but let me just tell you that the uh, bedroom activities are more pleasurable as well with a groomed, uh, groomed at everything. It, it just is objectively. Yep. So you can also increase your pleasure levels through grooming. So it turns out to be for everybody. It's a win-win. It's a win-win. Manscaped.com. Promo code Splendor. Uh, all right. Back from break. I mean, we, we're back from break for a while now. But dear Chaz and David, just wanted to chime in on the barrel or not tandem surfing conversation. I wholeheartedly agree with your criticism of tandem surfing within the framework of modern progressive context. It indeed is another clumsy practice in increasingly goofy lineups now however through the historical lens the significance of tandem surfing is something that should be recognized and without sounding like sam george maybe even celebrated the first wave ridden by an australian on a surfboard in australia was in tan- was in tandem with the duke himself here is the description of it from the northern beaches council website quote isabel La- i'm sorry isabel latham was a 15-year-old girl watching one of the Duke's demonstrations. As legend has it, the Duke beckoned Isabel to join him for an attempt at tandem surfing, marking her the first Australian to attempt board riding. The duo were an instant sensation with the large crowd, end quote. Tandem surfing was the medium used to introduce surfboards to Australia. And please correct me if I'm wrong, any Hawaiian listeners, but from what I gather, tandem surfing has been and probably still is a fundamental courting strategy used by Hawaiian beach boys, which I think stems back to the ancient world. I remember reading somewhere about a cultural festival ancient Hawaiians had that consisted of them surfing, dancing, and screwing for a couple of weeks each year. What a utopian celebration of life. I'm pretty sure that tandem surfing would have been involved given that surfing in its purest essence is a dance of sorts. Sharing a wave with the right person in the right location on any craft is one of the most fun ways to experience wave riding. 
I'm no tandem surfing aficionado, quite the opposite. In fact, my wife was very unimpressed when I thought it would be fun to pull into a shorey tube riding tandem prone on a longboard and subsequently hit her head, hitting her in the head. But the footage of dudes cruising with their girls on the gentle rollers of Waikiki looks like a hoot. And I can imagine a throwback to the ancient Hawaiian aloha spirit of enjoying the ocean as a community within the natural rule of hierarchy, of course. Keep work, Ian. Ian, thank you. Well stated completely. I think we did baby with the bathwater on that one because definitely there's those po postcards from Waikiki and all that where you don't look at that and think, ah, kooky. Like it, there's a grace to it. There is, yeah, historically, which we should have defined. And thank you so much for bringing it up. Uh, but yes, that definitely as a historical thing, Bravo and or the places where it's practiced historically, like Waikiki, or I could imagine, yeah, I mean, Malibu, you can't anymore, right? Malibu has jumped the shark in many ways, but particularly, or that's one of the ways it has. But the few places that tandem surfing is appropriate and historically significant, by all means. Well, Thanksgiving morning, friend of the show, Rob Machado texted you and I as well and uh, razzed us a little bit for that conversation just by pointing out, educating us. Bobby Friedman and Tiari Thomas, he said, used to surf pipe and oh, yeah. big sunset. And I remember this as well. Like I remember seeing them in the magazines back in the day. Um, and he sent images of them just absolutely charging as a tandem couple. And I, when I saw that, I was like, you know what? He's kind of right. Could you imagine a more bonding experience than dropping than into big outer sunset, getting shacked at back door with your yeah. partner and getting blown out? I mean, that is a unbelievable. Serious. I mean, that would be a crazy thing to experience with your partner. So yep. kind of can't deny that. Yep. Undeniable. Sorry. Sometimes we're slightly off, mostly well, right. Slightly off. What we always are is beholden to our Southern California centric view on everything. And so us having both entered surfing around the same time in the mid nineties and seeing the version of tandem surfing that existed at our local beaches at that time was the kooky thing, but it is a very slim cross section of tandem surfing as a whole. And we're basing our entire opinion on that experience. Beautiful. So, um, also feedback, and this is going to be directly related to this week's Barrel or Noss selections. This comes from a listener, JJ, who said DLS out of the, we were, remember we were talking about Turkey for Thanksgiving or ham yes. or whatever. Yeah. He said DLS out of the three, uh, Abrahamic faiths, two of them forbid pork, Judaism and Islam in Christ. All, all things are free to eat ham, bacon, pork ribs, mick ribs, funyuns, etc. I'm thankful for Jesus. Onward, JJ. Mm -hmm. Amen, brother. Amen. So this brought up a thought that I had about there are food, and even with tandem surfing, there's things that I'm just like not accustomed to, but maybe they are okay to do. Maybe I'm just undereducated, right? Sure. And so food is one of those things. So all three of our items today are food-related do's or don'ts that I'm going to present to you. Great. Barrel or not? Hot sake. Uh, no barrel, David Lee scales, no barrel. I do believe that hot sake in Japan, and I will say there is a, like everything, right? 
not everything, but like most things, there is that real specific time slash place. If you are in a Japanese ski resort, for example, and you've just gotten done out on the hill and it was snowing hard and you're sitting down for your nice omakase meal and there's a hot sake there, have at it, right? But that's a very specific scenario. For the rest of it, no, no. From what I've heard or what I understand is that the sake, sake that gets heated is the poor quality. None of the good sake is heated and you shouldn't be drinking poor quality pretty much to begin with. So that's my understanding as well. I used to work in the wine industry. And so I encountered a couple of, you know, sake tastings over time and it was always cold. Yes. I don't think that, a, I don't think that there's such a thing as good quality hot sake. Yeah. So I just thought it was somehow an Americanized thing where, you know, and it is, it's specifically what you said, which is it masks all the impurities and the imperfections in the wine. So the colder it is, it showcases all of the delicate purity the of notes. it. Right. So yeah, when you have a crappy version of it, then you go, oh, well, how do we- Heat it up. You know, yeah. How do we uh, sh mask all of this? Let's just heat it up a little bit and give it to the people who don't know any better. So I thought it was kind of designed for Americans who are idiots. So you're talking about the scenario of you're getting off the ski slope. Does the hot sake even exist in that scenario it does it does i oh, yeah okay. i've done i've done my oh man snowboarding japan any listener who has a little we'll say thinking about what's that trip i want to do go snowboard japan it is absolutely incredibly epic the entire experience is epic but yes from the onsens they have like the japanese bathhouses that you do and then the everything's just perfect and yes they do hot sake okay so it doesn't, it's, it's not like, it. yeah, it's not like the dominant, but it is available. Got it. Okay. Well, good. This is why I'm asking you because my only exposure is old sake. Like that's yeah. just, I've never even had access to hot. So I guess I'd have to order it, at a, but I've never had it around me to wear Cause I would try it. You yeah. know, I'm curious what it would be like. Um, it's not bad. I'll say it's kind okay. of, it's, it's pleasant in and of itself, but it's definitely, I mean, sake is a beautiful drink too. And to sake is not supposed to be consumed always that way sake in and of itself is like man like a good sake it's hard well, to beat spe specifically with sashimi sure like the whole experience yeah you, if you're sitting home drinking sake i think that's kind of weird but if you're like <laughs> sake with a hamburger yeah <laughs> no i mean like sashimi the delicate is the most delicate of meats with the most delicate of drinks it yep. is a an unbelievable pairing, pairing. like i almost mm -hmm. wouldn't even eat sashimi without sake yeah. and i want to drink sake without you know yeah. so yeah but i can't imagine doing it hot because then it would just boil the fish almost, it's not you know it's like, not so bad but it depends on the meal right if you're having a hot sake and like a japanese curry for example okay, like okay, yeah okay okay so no barrel on hot sake i'm going no barrel but the, the small caveat the very specific caveat yeah got it barrel or not mayonnaise with french fries so complete barrel that it, it doesn't get bigger barrel to be as the older I get, I've realized that it was one of those things that I saw yucky Europeans do this. That's so yucky. As an older man, you realize ketchup is a kid's condiment. Ketchup is for babies. Mayonnaise is for the sophisticated older palate, the palate that's been around that understands the difference between quality and gimmick. And just like, I'm all about ketchup you know, on certain things, but 
French fries. I am a soul. I am at the restaurant and I'll bring the ketchup out with the fries. And I will ask every time, uh, do you guys have mayonnaise? Yeah. So yeah, I just squirted on the waiter. I just, oh put yeah. It How dare you? <laughs> um, no, I mean, I went the exact same evolution as you. I heard about Europeans doing it and I was disgusted. Yeah. Yucky. And it took me years and I think it just commingled on the plate at some point Yeah, where it probably wasn't even intentional, but I just got a little bit of mayo on my French huh. fry and I just saw the error of all of my ways. Yes. It is an incredible combo, but I will say ketchup serves a purpose and the combination of ketchup and mayo great. on French fry is also amazing. For sure. And, and nothing, I'm not knocking ketchup here. I sounded like I was knocking ketchup. I love me some ketchup. I just think uh, for your French fry, the mayonnaise is the superior condiment it really is like especially yeah, you can for, only pick one yeah it's mayonnaise it, like yeah. the way that it blends with kind of the crispy fat salt and mayonnaise you don't want it like sweetened down right you yeah. want that thing to be subtly complemented not contrasted yeah totally glad we agree on that because i was really gonna have to reconsider finding a new host if yeah. you Good. if you were anti-mayo um Final barrel or not? Fruit in champagne. Oh, so no barrel. You're already aiming for a headache. Uh, you drop a strawberry in there, your headache is going to come on quicker and harder. Like, uh, and I'm talking, so like if you're out at your, whatever, at a New Year's Eve celebration and there's the strawberry in the champagne or the, what other fruits do you see in champagne? Raspberries. No, raspberries in a champagne. Yeah, like, Again, like the hot sake question, maybe there's a time and a place, but that time and a place would really be in cheap champagne. You shouldn't yes. be drinking cheap champagne. Champagne as, and we've talked about it on the show, champagne as a sparkling wine, as a varietal of wine is one of the finer out there. And it should not be tainted. It should be enjoyed. And if you're just drinking Corbel or whatever, cheap champagne and throwing fruit in it, you're like really cruising for a bruising. You are asking for a massive headache. 100% agree with you on this one too. And it is an offense to my senses even. Like yeah. if I'm at an event and they're doing that just as the default, like, oh, we're having champagne and isn't it cute? Like for some reason they think it's festive. Yeah. Like to put and fruit like, and champagne. No. Champagne is the most festive thing that exists. It's the most festive drink that exists. And the amount of work and really delicate effort and refinement that goes into perfecting that thing, the winemaker, the entire community of champagne would be so offended to yeah. see you put a piece of fruit in there with in it. a perfectly like crafted thing already. It is balanced. It's, it's like putting it is... a bumper sticker on a Lamborghini, you know yeah. what I mean? Or whatever. I don't know what. It's terrible. Do not it's... do it. And like you said... It mainly is, I think it's like with the sake situation in a sense where you have the crappy version of it. Sure. And so you, you're trying to add flavor to it. But at that point, freaking drink a beer. You yeah. Know, like you shouldn't be drinking that anyways. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. It is a disgusting drink when done like that. And my goodness, I think, I mean, we have talked about it, but you've really opened my eyes to, I used to think, oh, you know, with the champagnes, you have your vooves and you have your, what, your, uh, that level right moe chandon your moe exactly yeah. like that's what you got and then if you're gonna go fancy you have your uh what's the crystal or whatever right my goodness like those are all fine and good but since we have last spoken about champagne i've had some like 
really good small vinter whatever from champagne region that like blew my mind how how incredible they were how yeah like the the vuv and all that it's all great because you get a consistent product yeah but it doesn't blow your doors right like yeah i had one i think it was in new york that was just in so incredible tasting that yeah i was like oh well never going back man Good. I'm glad to hear that I've influenced you in that way because it is a better life. And I'll give the listeners a quick rundown. What The term that you want to use, I won't recommend a brand because they're all so small that you won't be able to find them anyways. But the term that you need to use when you go into a wine shop is grower producer, quote, grower dash producer. And what that means is exactly what it sounds like. The person who's producing the champagne is also growing the grapes on their property And that seems obvious and logical that wines are made that way, but it's actually not the case in Champagne. Champagne is a region in France, and it's a very small region in France. In order to be labeled as Champagne, you have the grapes have to come from this region. And what's happened is those couple of brands, Moet and Vouve, grew so rapidly, their brands, and they produce so much Champagne. They don't own all the land in Champagne, but what they do is they buy the grapes from other growers to make their wine. And they want to produce a consistent product as opposed to the weather gives you different things every year. And the grape should be a product of what the weather gives you. And it should have vintage variation, you know, and that becomes something that you enjoy as a wine drinker. You're like, oh, this tastes different than last year because there was more rain or less rain or whatever it is, right? Well, Vuv wants to have the Coca-Cola of products. They want it to be consistent year in and year out. And so when you buy grapes from everybody, you can manufacture a generic style and hit that target more consistently. But those growers who didn't have access to sales and worldwide markets, it was easier for them just to sell their grapes to Vuv rather than making their own wine and trying to sell it. So that's what happened over the course of decades and hundreds of years, actually. So you have these massive producers making these generic style of wines, which are good, but they're charging a premium for them. Or the couple of small holdouts, these couple of small grower producers that are making these handcrafted wines. So Vuv has various levels and Moet has various levels. So they have the entry level White Star for 40 bucks. And then at the high end, they have Dom Perignon that they're charging. 200 bucks for or whatever that is. These small grower producers, they're charging 40 bucks and it's the quality of Dom for 200 bucks. Yep. So that's where you as the consumer can go get a real value. These handcrafted grower producer champagnes, like I said, just go into your conscientious wine shop that knows what they're doing. Just be like, dude, I want a grower producer champagne, the entry level one, it'll be 40 or 50 bucks. Not cheap, but equivalent to in quality. Cristal from Louis Roederer or, you know, uh, Dom Perignon from Moet Chandon. So you'll save yourself. I'll say this show has maybe been the most helpful show, holiday show we've had yet. Between what to drink, how to groom, what to wear on your wrist, how to stay healthy, all of it. I mean, didn't even start about how to deal with the X and surfboards. <laughs> like this totally. was a well-rounded show for the holidays. We're kicking off December with a gift to you we are. in the we form are. of advice, recommendations, which champagne to buy for the holidays. So enjoy. Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you, listeners. Go to beachgrit.com. Go to at Surf Journalist. Go to surfsplendorpodcast.com to set up that subscription and find links to all of our sponsors, including drinkag1.com slash surf, linkedin.com slash surf. 
Manscaped with promo code Splendor. Anything else going on in your world? That's it. Call in. I'm very curious, especially this holiday season. Call in, dear listener, or email in or whatever with recommendations for what the charitable organizations, what the best ones for surfboard specific are. We really need that. That would be yep. a great resource. Um, yeah. Love these listener feedback episodes too. I love getting emails and stuff. So, and I've got, like I said, listener line calls that we didn't even get to, but we've got some for next week. So until then. Keep working.